0: The next African story will be written by Africans. Meet the people using technology, innovation, and entrepreneurship to craft this new narrative. This is Building the Future podcast with your host, Dotin, coming up today on Building the Future.
1: So initially, we were just trying to put food on the table, you know, just keep the business going. I thought we need to get funding, you know, because now if if we could get someone to fund this product, that would be a stamp of approval saying, you know, this is worth pursuing. So we spent, basically wasted a year trying to get funding. We could have already built this, you know, if we just used this effort that we put into getting money. Nobody will ever put in the same amount of passion and energy to taking your product to market than yourself.
0: This series is in partnership with the British Council in Nigeria. The British Council is the UK's international organization for cultural relations and educational opportunities. All opinions expressed by me and the podcast guests are solely ours and does not reflect the opinion or policies of the British Council. For more information about the British Council, go to britishcouncil.org.ng. One of the things we do at Starter is growth consulting. We work with a select number of growth stage startups and established companies to grow and retain their customers. We do growth. We're not a digital marketing agency. Instead, we help our clients figure out their customer acquisition and retention by focusing on three major things. We help them build a consistent narrative and community around their core offers. Second, we help them build a scalable, repeatable, and cost-effective growth systems and strategies and lastly most importantly we help them build an in-house team that we execute the strategies for them. We've worked with and still working with companies like Flutterwave, Cranium One, DIY Law, Omar Gardens, GEE Client Services, Amara Suit, and many others. We're a small team of startup entrepreneurs, investors, product designers, and growth marketers with experiences of building and scaling our own products and companies. To work with you, we'll have to determine if there's a fit and if we can significantly make a difference to your growth trajectory within a short time. If your business is currently making money, at least ten thousand dollars per month and you want to scale to the next level, let's have a chat. Go to wedogrowth.co and book a free strategy session with us. That is wedogrowth.co wedogrowth.co and book a free strategy session with us today. My guest today is Franz Strewing, the CEO and co-founder of iCubo a South African tech company that was acquired by Garmin in 2015. I met Franz during a conference I attended in South Africa and recorded this episode shortly after that. Franz has a degree in computer engineering from the University of Pretoria and started his career as an embedded software developer. He founded iKubo as a business where engineers can really express themselves by building different products. One of their products was a bicycle radar tool called Backtracker, which was crowdfunded in 2014. A year after that, he sold the company to Gamin, a GPS tech company based in the US. In this conversation, we talked about how he started iKubo, raising money, the challenges, failures, and the journey to acquisition. Hello, friends. You're welcome to the show. Thanks, Thanks Dachum. Good to be here. It's a pleasure to meet you. So, can you help me by pronouncing your surname? It sounds German or Dutch, is it? Yeah, it's a bit of a combination, I
1: think. Uh, struvig. Struvig. That would be the way I pronounce it. Struvig,
0: I guess, for English-speaking people. So it's for English-speaking people, but it's Struvig. 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 <laughs> and that's Africans. Yes. Right. Um, so you're from Pretoria, originally? Yes. And we are here now in Cape Town talking about you and your business. So let's start from the beginning. Um, you are a software engineer.
1: Correct, yeah. I studied computer engineering at uh, Victoria University and so that is sort of in between electronic engineering and computer science. So a bit of a combination which I think served me very well.
0: Why is that? Were you a geek from the beginning when you were in the university? Were you like you wanted to just study electronics or you wanted to just study computer?
1: I always loved technology, business and people. So the combination of those three and I loved playing with software and I knew that's, that's going to be the future. You know when you start studying you have no idea what you're going to become. So I just knew I had to be in software and um, But, you know, what's nice about um, learning about electronics is you get you get a lot more exposure into the whole technology stack. So I think that gave me a lot of confidence. You know, going into business, you could work with low-level hardware, firmware, middleware, all the way up to your web application. So And then the most important probably is the algorithms behind that and the, the math that you learn on an engineering degree.
0: So when you... University, you were working as a software engineer uh, at a company. Just tell me how you transitioned from that to starting your own business. Okay.
1: So there was a, a push and a pull factor. I think working initially at a, was a, a cryptography company I was working at doing hardware security modules and it was very interesting work, but the culture was lacking. And I felt that you spend so much time at work that work needs to be a place where you can express yourself. It needs to be a place where engineers can just be themselves. So that was the push factor and a, a pull at that point was a friend of mine also wanting to start a business. And he had this interesting opportunity that uh, someone wanted to develop a, a micron meter. That's a little a device that measures wool thickness using interferometry of light. So you shine a bit of light through a wool sample and then it creates circular interference patterns and uh, he wanted to measure that and so that was a great opportunity so we started the business not knowing what we're going to do just knowing that here's one project and you know we've got the contract and I because I wrote a little Python script initially just to show the guys that I could actually do that so, so process. you have a contract
0: already. You just said, okay, we can do this for you, right? And then it's okay, yes, because you've shown them some demo. But you don't know how to actually get from that A to B. You know B is possible, but you don't know how to get from A to B. Yeah,
1: so we knew we, we have some income for the next few months. And we knew that we wanted to create a business where engineers could express themselves. But we didn't know what we we're going to do. So we were going to have lots of fun and we were going to create a very cool environment. So that was basically where we started started and I think that's actually the most important thing in any business is establishing that culture because having lots of fun expressing yourself really um, living with passion you know and, and being excited about work created a place where other people also now wanted to be a part of that so we started attracting the best talent even though We couldn't pay big salaries and we also didn't have a a great vision in terms of where this business is going. Um, And
0: most of your income was from uh, consulting or building products for other people? Yeah. So initially, we were
1: just trying to put food on the table, you know, just keep the business going. So my wife was packing lunches for us, and, you know, uh, luckily she had a salary. So, you know, I could take a huge knot on income. But, uh, but we were just keeping the pot going, basically, initially.
0: So let's talk through that because the reason why I have you here is you are one of those um, elite entrepreneurs in Africa that have successfully sold their business. You sold your business to Garmin and you're now working with Garmin. And the journey to that is not as um, packaged like the media would have wanted to see it. It's not like you started a startup, three years later, boom, and uh, now you're sold to Garmin. It was a journey of craft. And cumulative knowledge for you to get to that product that was now attractive to gaming to say that we are going to buy you out. And um, so let's talk through. How you started it, which you've just talked about now, is you just want to put food on the table. You have a skill, you love what you're doing, and you just want to do it. And then how that actually got into the place where you actually build a product that is now like an attractive product to be sold. I think you didn't start your business with the mindset that you're going to sell it, right?
1: No, no, absolutely not. We just wanted to create a sustainable business, but part of the strategic intent was to put myself in a position to learn. So I realized that um, if I put myself in this uncomfortable position of starting a business, I'm going to be forced to learn. And that's the only way to really learn business is by doing it. So from day one, we were in an uncomfortable place and we had to learn. We had to figure out, you know, how, what is important in business. And that theme was continuing for the next seven years, where well, next 10 years actually, where we were always learning, getting new insights, building more quality into the business and um, so, so just some highlights of the kind of learnings we had was, you know, we weren't investing enough in the business. And at one point, we realized we have to really invest a lot more money back into the business,
0: into our product development. And so let, let's break down the business model then. Yeah. Uh, before you got this product that was now bought by Camin. I mean, was it just consulting? Uh, or was it you building product like a software mm-hmm. development shop where you build product for other people? What is it?
1: Yeah. So we were always passionate about building our own products, but to get money, the model was do work for other people. So we do contracts for third parties. And in the process, we build our skills. We get market exposure. So we see what are the real problems in the market. And we also then get to develop some IP. You know, if we can keep that IP, we add it to our IP portfolio and we can then feed that back into project work. Right. And you, you get sort of this virtuous cycle going. But initially we were so all over the place that we were building products that were complete failures that were way out of line uh, you know, in, in terms of what our real core competency uh, and was. And yeah, they're
0: software products, right?
1: Yeah, so maybe as an example when there was a power crisis in South Africa and suddenly we had rolling blackouts and nobody knew when this is going to happen. And we created a product that would let people know when a Blackout is going to take place in their area or their area of work.
0: How did you do that? A lot of African countries, we need that kind of stuff. We built that
1: in two weeks. It wasn't rocket science, but it was just every municipality has their own little PDF that they post somewhere. Nobody knows where to find it. And we just built a crawler that would just go to every municipality's website and just uh, basically extract this information and put it into a website. So municipalities
0: have this PDF document where they'll they'll say, there's going to be a blackout Um, so it's really scheduled blackout
1: it was scheduled but it was very like at that point it was super primitive and it was changing the schedules were changing all the time nobody really knew what was going on so I mean we just Thought, well, let's do this. And two weeks later, we had the product. And uh, But we're actually, you know, we're supposed to do a lot more hardcore radar kind of work. You know, we were radar and computer vision engineers, but we were doing this kind of thing. Then the blackout stopped. The product failed because of that, you know. so But we had a few failures like that. But over time, we realized that we have to stick to our knitting, basically, and focus on computer vision and radar and we started creating a virtuous cycle where our contracts that we were doing we were doing contract work in saudi arabia in australia very interesting work um that was really feeding back into our ip and we were able then to charge more for work we were doing because we now had all this ip and skills that's being built and um Yeah, so we started really developing our own IP over time in the radar space. Yeah, creating that virtuous cycle. I think what we found was every year as a team, we would have time um, on thinking about what is our um, strategic position? What is our golden thread? You know, what's that the why and we didn't have a business guy we didn't have one guy that's gonna like you know solve all the problems for us as all the engineers were part of that management team having to now struggle through these questions and so we were as a team authentically growing every year how Um, many
0: people do you have in your team
1: we were 10 engineers and the thing is engineers actually love business People love applying engineering principles to business. So your brightest engineer actually has a lot to add on the business side. And um, so everybody was really enjoying that journey.
0: And how many founders did you have there?
1: We were two founders. And then we took on uh, uh, another shareholder a few years later who was an exceptional engineer. So yeah, t- 10 years down the line, we were three
0: shareholders. Right. And then, so again, it was advisory, consulting and building products for other people and building your own product, developing IPs. How did that then morph into you building one, uh, okay. so you build one product that was successful enough for you to sell? All right.
1: So we were doing a lot of theater improv. So theater improv is, you know, having lots of fun at work and you sort of have these principles um, that you can exercise through playing games. So we were in that space of theater improv and then one of our team members cycled in town and he saw an elderly gentleman cycling on the wrong side of the road. And the guy stopped and said, I'm really sorry, you know, I'm, I'm cycling on the wrong side because I'm too afraid but i'm going to be hit from behind if i cycle on the right side you know so we were really in this mode of of looking for interesting problems and we just realized this is something that we could solve with our radar technology so i thought it, it was a silly idea but you know we had this process that allows engineers to come up with ideas pitch it to the team because we're all internal investors essentially and then we um you know we give you an opportunity if you do a good pitch you get a week build something and so this guy built it he built the first unit which was uh very clunky and and horrible looking. Let's deep dive into that.
0: So, one of your engineers saw an elderly gentleman riding a bike on the other side of the road because he was afraid that it's going to be hit from behind. And he said, this could be a problem that can be solved using your radar vision technology. And he now pitched it to the team, right? First thing, what are some of the questions that was asked? Because the question I'm going to ask is, how big is this problem? This one elderly gentleman, how many people are actually riding on the other side of the road because they're afraid that they're going to be hit from behind? And okay, let's assume that all the elderly people will have that kind of concern. How many elderly people are actually riding a bike? How many elderly people do we actually have? And then, family can actually ride a bike. <laughs> in total. So do you ask those kind of questions? Yeah,
1: so what we do with our internal pitches is we force the engineer to do a one-pager and that just addresses a little bit of those questions, you know, but not too critical. You know, we we don't get too critical at an early stage because, you know, that this may lead to something else. So I think at that point, there were a lot of questions that I probably wasn't asking. But, I mean, a very obvious question is how the hell do we get this to market? You know, how do we sell this to a customer? And in a market that is like very brand aware that is uh, very global and what was the
0: solution a hardware uh, computer radar vision that will show you what is happening behind you
1: yeah so it's a little radar device that you clip onto the back of your seat post and then it lets you know if cars are approaching from behind so it's got a little interface on your handlebar that shows you as a car approaches so you can see there are three cars behind you and 150 meters away 80 meters away 40 meters and you can see how they're approaching and then this unit on your seat post also then communicates with the car so it has a light that sort of flashes and changes its pattern as the car approaches well that's quite good actually yeah i
0: think it uh well turned out to be pretty yeah pretty yeah useful. i mean, you it now <laughs> means it's The use case is beyond an elderly gentleman that is afraid that somebody is going to eat him from behind. It's basically uh, awareness for every bikers in London, and uh, that uh, will probably have some some concern about car riders just uh, being unaware of them that's quite good so it was that a solution that was proposed initially because I really want to get how people ideate because um, a lot of people think Mm. that you come up with your idea and it's well Mm. fully formed before (laughs) you actually do anything I'm assuming Mm. here and correct me if I'm wrong that that was not the original solution that was proposed to that problem
1: no we were quite close to that mark actually but there were a few differences so initially we um, the display on the handlebar was just a single LED so for demo purposes, that made a lot of sense. You just had a wire running from your handlebar all the way to the back, and then you just have a little light that would increase the flicker frequency as a car approaches. Then we would increase the brightness based on the speed of the car, and we show sort of we try and use that single LED. Um, so. In the final product, uh, that user interface changed quite significantly. And also we lost the wire. And, but the, I think the concept was actually reasonably well formed initially. But again, this is after lots of years of going through this innovation process. And, but also at that point, we had, I think the biggest question here was not about the product, but it was about how do you, how do you take this to market?
0: That was your biggest concern.
1: That was the big question. So I thought we need to get funding. You know, because now if, if we could get someone to fund this product, that would be a stamp of approval saying, you know, this is worth pursuing. So we spent, basically wasted a year. Trying to get funding.
0: Interesting. So this is good. And I really want us to explore this further. You had the idea, very good problem, that needs to be solved. You have some understanding about how big the market could be. Your biggest concern is how do you then reach that market? Which is a marketing question and a distribution question and which is also a factor of how much money you have to do that. So building the technology, building a product itself is not hard. But okay, there might be some other question around how do you build it at mass. So after you build it, yeah. you make how do you manufacture? So that's another question that is money. So you Mm. Okay. to do this we need to raise money and then you went out and then you what happened was it wasted time
1: I think it was a bit of a waste but at least we I think uh, we learned a lot in the process so by pitching to lots of people you know you grow in your confidence you get a grasp of your numbers because people ask difficult questions and so I think we definitely grew in our understanding of what we're doing but I think at that point in South Africa there was really no venture capital and um, there was just no appetite for hardware and people would often lead us along because maybe they had nothing better to do so they would organize meetings and you know comebacks and but in the end they would say something like yeah sorry they're asking for too little money When,
0: when was this that was i think around 2008 maybe 2008 and then um, that was around the recession time globally yeah, right? yeah. so there was a bit but how much were you trying to raise
1: it was very little it was one and a half million rand which, which is how much about a hundred thousand dollars
0: you were trying to raise hundred thousand yeah. dollars for uh, a adware company that's a bit low yeah yeah
1: but that wasn't for manufacturing because we knew we had to you now make this product very small because initially it was really big So we had to miniaturize it to get it to a point where we could take the next steps. But um, so it was about the whole hardware development process to get it all miniaturized. Because the initial prototype was just discrete components, sort of just off-the-shelf stuff. Right. um, Yeah, sorry. I think I'm getting the dates wrong. It was maybe a a few years later. but um, That's fine. But so we tried to get that money. And, you know, it was a good exercise, but it was a total waste of time. And at the end of that, the, the penny dropped that we could have already built this, you know, if we just used this effort that we put into getting money so we took three months and just built it and it literally i mean after three months we had this miniaturized product which had 3d printed um, enclosed and a 3d printed enclosure which was looking really cool and it was still not close to the final product but it was something we you know we could take to bigger companies because we knew that to sell this we need to work with a big brand the brand recognition is so huge in the cycling market and the distribution challenges are You know, you need to be global. You cannot just be in South Africa. So you need to have like a global distribution. And it's and so it made a lot of sense to us. So we decided to go to Japan and we met with Cat Eye. And these guys were very excited about the product. You know, so now we had this nice miniaturized product and we could show it to them. And they could put it on their bicycles and test it. So we had lots of fun there cycling in the streets of Osaka. And and they said, okay, they're going to be our OEM partner. Okay, so we made a deal with them.
0: What was that deal about? So they're a good brand in the cycling community? Yes. Okay, so people know them for selling good products. And they have distribution network everywhere. So your goal was just to be the product that they would be excited about and give it to them and have this partnership.
1: Yeah, it so, so we thought, yeah, it's great. You know, they just roll it out and they just pay us like a royalty on every product sold. I mean, that just sounds like such a great idea. And um, so we gave them the designs, the digital design, but we kept the RF because we had a, like an antenna component. So the idea was that we would manufacture that and we would um, combine that. Um, or they could then combine that in the factory. And uh, But a year again went by with no progress on that front and it seems counterintuitive but we realized that big companies actually have a lot less capacity than small companies because they've got like 200 products or thousand products you know there's always something super urgent and our product is not gonna like double their profit or anything it's gonna make a small dent so you know it's it's, it's not a priority and um, and then we realized that nobody will ever put in the same amount of passion and energy to taking your product to market than yourself
0: two questions there is there any alternative product like that in the market and, up, and two is did you have a brand name for that product at a point where you say okay this is our brand name you have uh, to distribute it or you just want to give it to them as one of their own product and then they can brand it the way anyway
1: yeah so we wanted them to brand it themselves so under their brand uh, so we weren't selling them a brand and it, you know we really wanted them to make their own enclosure because that is part of their core competencies they're good at, at doing water proof enclosures that you know can withstand the rigors of years of cycling so so we wanted them to completely brand it and make it their own
0: and was there any alternative product like that in the market
1: no so initially we wanted to use the name hindsight for our product and then there was someone in the U.S. that also had a hindsight, which was just basically a camera that they mount on your seat post, and then you've got a little display on your handlebars. And um, then they would have some algorithms to detect cars, and then they try and sort of show those cars. Um, so that that was maybe one, but that never really took off. And the hindsight
0: never took off in the states.
1: No, no, no. It was it was more of a I think almost an experimental thing for because there are many challenges I think with visibility and with battery life. You know, if you're using video, it's just a, a whole different game, and also distraction.
0: Yes, that video calls yes. So, tell me about this um, Japanese company in Osaka <laughs> and what, because it would be good for a lot of people that are listening to that, maybe working on a similar partnership, yep. what are the key learnings there and what are the key challenges that you had yep. with that partnership and why it didn't work hmm. and why was that?
1: I don't really know for sure why it didn't work because we had a great feeling and we had a great relationship with them and they seemed very excited about it but I think with the Japanese culture it is sometimes difficult to um for people to display um complete honesty <laughs> you know also, i mean i think it's very difficult for them to for instance say no or to tell you in your face that they don't like something
0: even though they were exactly about it at the beginning
1: yeah they were, well throughout they were, they were so exactly. we, whenever we had a conversation that it would be like yes we're going ahead with this looking good you know we would have a date and then that date would come and then you know there would be some delay but they but i think it's maybe because it's in their culture, it, there are a lot of other signals they give. So they, and we may not have been like aware of that, you know, so we didn't pick up maybe the small ways that they were actually telling us, sorry, we're not going to do this, you know. And uh, so we were just oblivious, just thinking that that these guys are, are doing it. But I think they, they probably would have done it, but it may just have taken another three years, you know, because they, it really just was not a priority
0: for them. Because they have other product as well. That, yeah, and I
1: think big companies just don't have spare resources. It's like an almost like an exponential relationship with the amount of effort required uh, versus the growth. Then you know, as a company grows, you just disproportionately need to get more people for those incremental productivity outputs. So now, if you now suddenly add like a big thing for them, you know they're going to have to drop some other project somewhere.
0: Yes, you know, and just uh, something that they've strategically identified as an area they want to go into and they've identified the gaps yeah. that they have and they're looking for partners to fill those gaps so it's more of a pool mm. from them rather than you pushing that yeah. particular area
1: yeah i think it's uh, a challenge with a new product also so this is a completely new product so there was nothing like it like known to them in the market at least and that's always risky i think it's difficult for like an established business to take that to market You know, they have to be quite visionary because I can imagine some people were super excited about it in the company, but then they may have had some naysayers or people saying, well, you know, will people really use this? Is it really useful or um, is it going to distract people or... You know, so, I'm sure there was a lot of questions like that in the company, which may have also stalled the momentum.
0: And how long was this conversation going on for? 12 months. So, by a year, you, so initially you spent almost like a year trying to raise money. You spent no. another year getting a partnership done. And what then happens after that?
1: So, by this time, I mean, we're doing lots of other things. You so, still continue your
0: consulting. Yeah, You're we're, doing product for other people making money. On the side.
1: Yeah, we, and the business is doing so well. So we're actually thinking, you know, this the, okay, this thing almost didn't work, this little bicycle radar thing. So we almost want to can it, but we still feel that there is, you know, some IP there. And maybe we can use this, um, you know, we have to at least get maximum benefit out of it. So we thought we could use it as a way of entering the U.S. market. So use it as a proof of what we can do. And because we wanted to establish a, a beachhead uh, on the east coast of the U.S. because we felt, you know, there may have been an appetite for our kind of skills and the products we were doing. And at that point with the South African Rand not doing great work in the, in the US and other countries uh, was paying well for us. Okay, so we wanted to create that beachhead and we thought, well, how could we get there? And um, and so we came on to crowdfunding as a possible means of elevating the profile of this product and um, to get a beachhead in the US. But in parallel, we realized that actually you know, this could get us to the people that could help us to take this to market. So we realized that we had to do this ourselves because that was the learning from Cat. Like we can't wait for someone else to do this for us so we have to do it but um, we didn't know how this would play out so we had to set up a plan to sort of at least create an impression that we are going to do this ourselves. And, um, you know, we're going to distribute this. We're going to uh, manufacture it. And so I think uh, to create some credibility, we went to Dragon Innovation, which is a crowdfunding platform focused on hardware. And why they give you credibility is they actually vet your whole plan beforehand. So they look at your bomb cost for your electronics. They look at your, what are you saying your unit cost is going to be, your automated test equipment you're going to develop. You know the cost of that, and then if, if it's all realistic, then they sort of give you a Dragon certified kind of thumbs up. So we thought that okay, that would give us a lot of clout in the in the community in the US, and we could go there and through Dragon's network, we could then sort of uh, connect with people. Um, but little did we know that crowdfunding is really a crazy experience, yeah, um, tough as well, yes, yes. And crowdfunding, we didn't know it quite then, but realized later on it's all about marketing. Crowdfunding is not a way of getting money it's going to cost you a lot more money than you're going to make but now maybe just just one step back just before the crowdfunding we
0: we were part of an accelerator at this point uh, you joined an accelerator just for that product or for your consulting for the for our company yes for your, which um, which accelerator program takes on a consulting a software Product development <laughs> company.
1: <laughs> so a Grindstone, which is uh, part of Knife Capital, um, at that point, was I think w- an- another company wanted to acquire us because of our deep radar skills. And Knife was aware of that approach, which we rejected because of uh, the culture clash. And um, so Knife realized that actually we are being valued highly in the tech community. And, and they could see that there, there's bound to be some payoff in future.
0: And you are an agency, purely an agency. You don't have, apart from this product that you built, that you're trying to distribute, you don't have any particular product in the market.
1: No, no, we had we had some, at that point, we were using uh, radar for trucks, for instance, to warn a driver if a car in front of him stops too quickly. Or So we were looking at a few things like that. And so, so there were a few products that had potential, and we, we were doing a thing to count elephants in Africa from airplanes.
0: Automate that, and yeah, so a few, a lot, a lot of irons in the in the fire. Um, right. And so another company saw value in that, and they wanted to acquire you because of the potential that you have and a lot of money that you're making. And then Knife Capital, which is a VC or a PE firm, VC, it's a VC firm, but they they invest in technology companies, yeah, uh, both hardware, software, or any sort of technology in South Africa, right? So they now said, oh, can you join our accelerator program?" And they put some money in that. Yeah, so they didn't put any money into
1: that, but they, um, basically it's a year long program where every two or three months we would just meet for two days and so we didn't want to do that i thought that was going to be such a waste of time and they said no but we're going to, to help you to focus you know we know you guys are busy we know you're trying to focus but we're going to help you to do that and we learned an incredible amount in that program i think it helped us to really to think about the end game as well thinking about an exit
0: i want to learn about this as little program hmm. what do you have to give what are they getting in exchange for that Kind of program that I give you.
1: So I think you have a sign-up fee of like ten thousand rand. It's like eight hundred dollars or something, and that's just to show that you've got skin in the game, so that you're committed. And then um, they give you lots of great speakers, basically, and they spend some time with you in your office, looking at getting getting your your data room ready. And um, in return, I think for two years after the program, they get sort of a first right on. Uh, you know, if someone wants to buy shares in the company and they also get, a, yeah, they would get a small fee if there was a big transaction. So they would get some percentage, like 5% or something.
0: That's quite good. Yeah. That's a good model of accelerator programs, unlike the one that is quite popular in the startup ecosystem, which is you go for three months in exchange for 6 to 8% equity um, in your business. Again, that's yeah. from a lot of early stage, but this is more for mature businesses that yeah. want to know how to accelerate.
1: The idea is that they don't get any share in your business if you don't do well. So if like directly after their involvement, you do well, then they, they share in that. But but actually their strategy is to invest in you. So they actually want to invest in you. They actually want to use that time to see which of these 10 companies should we be investing in. Um, so by the end of our program, they were actually thinking about investing in us. And we were talking to them about taking it to the next level. But before that, they challenged us saying, because I was showing them our management reports. Every month we would have these reports, these one pages, and all the engineers would look at our, you know, income and profit and all of that. And and we had this nice, you know, everything was looking great. We were doing 40% on our, uh, you know, 40% profit margins and it was looking really good. Um, and they challenged us and said, well, listen, if you're making your targets every month, you know, then your targets are too low. And that was like, whoa, that's such a, that's so harsh, you know, because we're working really hard to achieve these targets. And then we said sat down and thought well what stretch targets could we use and we said okay well let's aim to double our revenue this year Um, and that gave us like such impetus because knowing that we have to double our revenue means we cannot continue as normal we have to do something different okay we can try and get more profitable projects so that's where the whole usb chat comes in but then also we need to now sell some of these units you know we need to sell a thousand of these units and um, so I think that created a lot of momentum for us, really thinking big um, to get this whole crowdfunding thing going. So then, yeah, crowdfunding. So we knew that if you crowdfund, it needs to be exceptional. You cannot do a crowdfund that is sort of half-baked because then you're going to crash and burn and then you, nobody's going to want to touch you again.
0: You lose your reputation. Yes.
1: So we knew we had to go really big. And that's going to allow us to cross the Atlantic, and that's going to really put us out there so we we got great designers on board on the um, sort of just out of varsity fresh designers very ambitious and we got them on an incentive based kind of scheme we got them on board on the project and we got uh, people on board to do a great movie or a video for us
0: for this particular um, bicycle radar picture, yeah yeah so we had like a because, so I want to link it to your accelerator program and challenging you to think bigger. And it's like, okay, we've got this product, which is almost ready. And there is a lot of need for it in the market. Let's push it out. Because that will give you that more revenue that you're looking
1: yeah, for. Yeah. Um, but there are so many things you need to do. So we also needed to redesign the product because we needed to lose the wire. It had to be wireless. So we went BLE. We needed to make it really sexy and it needed to be... In line with with a refreshed design so, so you know having the designers involved and we really got to a place where we had an awesome product awesome video the campaign was ready and we had this huge launch party inviting everybody from the local tech community and then the next morning i woke up excitedly went to the website to see how many units we've sold and it was like on five and how much was each unit? 2,500 Rand.
0: Okay. That's so, not an impulse buying stuff. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's not impulse buying. So, it's like almost $180 or something. And um, Okay. So,
0: 2,500 rands. Yes. Okay, so, and that's about $180. Okay. Yes. So, we were
1: very realistic about how much we needed. And we didn't know that in crowdfunding, actually, you should ask for very little. And, you know, you should just get, uh, get over the line as quick as possible uh, just to get a good story. So, you know, I knew I'd bought a unit. I know my dad bought a unit, you know, so it was like knife border unit and so we had this big problem we're not selling you know so the whole team had to go into uh, salesman mode and while doing our normal work one guy had to suddenly discover how to work twitter you know we had to go to we never we were never on those platforms you know so facebook and we were blogging and we were um, on radio interviews every night i was i was talking to vcs in the u.s because uh, we, we created a lot of noise you know we were we weren't selling a lot of product, but we were, um, you we were, were noisy. You we were, were like
0: everywhere.
1: O- you know, I would, I would open my, my iPad in the morning and I would be uh, on Slashdot and, uh, you know, TechCrunch and we would be on all these platforms because it was really buzzing nicely. But so we worked really hard trying to get those sales. It really focuses the mind if you're in a crowdfunding campaign.
0: And did that work?
1: It worked. We weren't, uh, we weren't a smash hit. We were battling. And I went to the US to make some noise. So I went to deepen our network with Dragon Innovation in the um, in Boston area. But then uh, while I was in New York, actually, one of my crowdfunders notified me that he sees the campaign's not doing that well. You know, maybe we should talk to Ray Maker. Um, you know, he's got a blog, DC Rainmaker, which in, in the cycling world is well known. Is a blogger. Yes.
0: But he's he's a cycling blogger.
1: Yeah, he sort of uh, evaluates products. Right. So I mailed this guy and I said, listen, we've got this product. Can you review it? And he said, well, you're very lucky. I mean, I'm actually in France. I live in Paris, but I'm in in the States right now. So I'm in Seattle, so you can send me a unit. So I had three units. That was the sum total of how many, you know, the units we had. So it was a very dear thing to me. But I sent him a unit and uh, told him, just please don't use it in the rain. You know, this is just like a demo. We we haven't, you know, waterproofed this or anything. And um, luckily, he didn't listen to me. Because in Seattle, it rains like 90% of the time. And so he just took this unit and just tested it. And he made an awesome review. So he...
0: Even though he took it in the rain, it didn't fall apart. No, he didn't. Yeah. And it worked.
1: It worked. And he was completely gobsmacked. And he's, what we didn't realize was that Garmin was really following his blog. And the whole community you know, was following him. So... So suddenly, everybody knew about us.
0: So that's the link to gaming. So you sent your product to a blogger who made noise about it. And the cycling community knew yep. about it. And then gaming was looking at always oh, listening to what <laughs> this guy says. That's the power of influencer markets. Absolutely. you don't know. And again, the other thing I can draw out from what you're saying is, there's a lot of link to your story, is you went to an accelerator program. Who forced you to think big? You don't want to think big. It's so like, let's double out revenue. If you want to double out of we need to sell this product. We want to sell this product well. We need to make a lot of noise on, on a platform. A platform. And you tested different marketing channels, make noise, blog, Twitter, you were just train a lot of things. You don't know which we work, which is how marketing works actually. You just yeah. And then one of them, <laughs> you couldn't have gotten to that place if not that you've tested so many other channels
1: absolutely and but there was there was a lot more to our garmin connection actually so the while we were in the accelerator program we created what they call an exit universe so we didn't think we we're going to exit the company but we thought to who could we exit this product and we identified garmin as the key company and we had a few other segments also that we were looking at but so while we were doing our crowdfunding campaign we had a also a campaign, marketing campaign for those companies on LinkedIn and on a few other platforms. So on LinkedIn, you can target like a few companies. And so we knew that in Garmin, if anybody there opens LinkedIn, you know, on an executive level, they're going to definitely, you know, get to know our <laughs> our brand. So, so we were doing a lot of that. We call it punching above your weight. You know, we were trying to really elevate our brand, even though we were just a small company in Stellenbosch. But also one of our guys was, uh, and this is now also a very serendipitous story, but one of the engineers was selling in Stellenbosch while, you know, when people come back from a cycle and they sit for a coffee, he would go and, and show them the product. And people were super rude and, and uh, you know, didn't have a lot of success. But there was this one lady, she was very impressed. And it turns out that she's a Stanford MBA uh, visiting South Africa. And she, she said, well, she'd love to help us. Um, and can she take a unit with her to the U.S.? Because she's visiting some people. So she took
0: a unit. You trust that again like you did to the blogger? Yeah. Give the person a unit?
1: Absolutely, yeah. We trusted her and she showed it to a test so to someone there in the U.S. who turns out to be a Garmin tester. And, Interesting. Uh, so suddenly we've got an email address okay so now we know that everybody in Garmin knows about the product we have a an email address and so now we just need to get to them
0: this is super interesting so you tried a lot of things which is again it's a lesson in marketing so you try LinkedIn approach super targeting you zero down on one company or different companies but Garmin for example here you targeted targeting on LinkedIn you were doing guerrilla marketing somebody just doing something that will not scale just giving people <laughs> showing the product after they cycle a lot of people are saying no to him but one person it and said, i can show somebody and that person happened to be a tester for Gamin, and then you've also sent something to um a blogger which gammon is following so you were super targeting this company from different angle absolutely i'm learning a lot from you it. it's just amazing <laughs> about how you can do this kind of targeted um both up in the hair marketing and also underground marketing
1: Well, I think while you're there, you don't know what's working. But you need to do a thousand things. You need to do everything that you can at that point that that seems like. I was in New York marketing next to the river there where all the cyclists come by on the Jersey side. I had a big banner, backtracker. I had my product there on a bike and I was, I was showing it to people as they come past. That probably made no difference. Put a lot of effort into that. But yeah. you don't know what's, what's going it, to work. It's like
0: what uh, was said in the book, Hard Thing About Hard Thing. Is, um, and they were asking a question about some product. And I think, um, I think it was Ben Horowitz. And he said, the solution to this is we don't have a, a silver bullet. There's no silver bullet. There are only lots of lead bullets. And of course, it's one bullet that will actually do the job, uh, if it's killing or whatever. Yeah. But it's a lot of lead bullets. And then you just keep shooting yeah. and then you find one. But there's no silver bullet that you know, this is the standard Absolutely. bullet that will shoot everything. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, um, but still, our campaign wasn't doing well. So the main campaign wasn't
0: Yeah, good. so we were on We like, were learning a lot. And yes, And we were getting into a lot of details that is getting you to yes. bigger... God.
1: but we knew we, we had to succeed our campaign had to succeed again otherwise it serves as a bad reference for people so we were on about 75 percent, and we thought okay we'll extend the campaign with a month and then we can also attend one or two trade shows in that month because the problem is if you're not doing crowdfunding you don't really have a good story if you're in the middle of crowdfunding you have a great story it's a great way of engaging people you know, you've got permission basically to speak. So we went to one of these, um, trade shows in Europe and, uh, and now we use this Garmin email to set up a meeting, you know, and, um, well, the story goes, I wasn't at that trade show, but the story goes that when the, when the guys saw the product, I mean, they didn't expect it to actually work. They thought it was just like, because a lot of stuff in the U.S. I've, I hear is is um, a lot of talk, but very little substance. Now, they didn't think this thing will actually work. And they asked our guy there to, to come with him, Let you know, take it outside to the streets. Let's go test this thing. And we were like, yeah, sure, let's go. And once they saw it worked, there were a lot of expletives. And these guys were like <laughs> very surprised. And then we knew at that point, you know, we, uh, it's, yeah, game, it's game on now, yeah. yeah. And uh, so when I was going to another trade show in the US, they invited us to just visit Garmin's office in Kansas.
0: So the people that tested at that treasure were Garmin guys? Yeah. And they were excited. Yes.
1: But they weren't necessarily the decision makers. Yeah. And um, so we went We went to the US. And so at this point, we were signing up distributors. You know, we were still going full steam ahead as if we we're going to do this thing ourselves. Because you have to have that as a negotiating or, a, you know, at least as a plan to continue. Otherwise, you're completely at the mercy of a bidder. So we went to Garmin, came for this meeting. And to our surprise, it was a huge meeting. We had like 10 people in the room and there were lots of people calling in and... Um, But after the meeting and when we had a demo also, but it didn't feel like it went that well. And, uh, I was standing around and talked to one of the engineers because actually the guy who's like the key decision maker there, I didn't know it then, but I really like gave him a lot of lip in that meeting. And um, so we had a bit of a fight. And after You were
0: debating s- with him? Yeah, yeah. You didn't know that he was a decision maker? Was he no, asking no. tough questions and you were just defending your product?
1: No, no, it wasn't like that. I was actually taking him on about some of Garmin's products. You know, that's sort of a bit cocky. But, that's
0: um, funny. <laughs> you yeah. were there to tell him about your product, but then you were just taking a makeup yeah. of their own product yeah. And, yeah. and having an argument with a guy that would make a decision this- <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah that was not such a great move but um i, I chatted to him afterwards and I, I realized that you know we missed this opportunity you missed and the opportunity yeah i think so and Why? Uh, because
0: he wasn't happy the way you went the meeting went no no
1: they were happy but i thought that this is going to be it so they're going to say bye and we're going to go to las vegas for the next uh, conference and we're not going to see these guys again so i thought how can we
0: oh so you after know? you chatted with him did he tell you that on oh, no, we're not interested now or you just felt from that no, I just, I just
1: had that feeling that you know this was now a lot of people in this meeting and nothing's going to happen. And um, so I told him, listen, I'm still here for like, you know, we're leaving tomorrow morning. Why don't you take a unit and I'll pick it up tomorrow? And um, and he's like, what? Are you guys not afraid that we're going to like X-ray this thing or? And I said, no, we, it's fine. You know, I trust you. Use the unit. And, uh, Took a leap
0: of faith yeah because they could actually replicate it
1: they could have tried to reverse engineer it yeah and um so they took the unit and the guys did some more testing and the feedback internally was really good which i only learned afterwards and so they invited us for dinner and then dinner became, you know, the next day asking me to stay on.
0: And I ended up… yes to stay, not to fly. Denise. Not go.
1: So my business partner went ahead to the conference. and uh, But I, I stuck around. And for the whole week, you know, constantly they were pushing out the schedule and taking me to baseball games and introducing me to more people. And then by, I think by probably either Wednesday, the intent was clear. We're going to talk business. At that point, I was quite surprised to find that I actually value the whole company, not just the product. Oh, so know, the
0: conversation now become not just we taking on this product, but we want to know about you, about your team, and how can we get your whole company on board? Yeah. How did that accelerate within a week?
1: <laughs> well, Garmin is a really cool company. You know, it's a company run by engineers. <laughs> so we, we didn't know anything about Garmin before that. Um... But their CEO is an engineer. They're very nimble. They can make decisions quite quickly, but they're also like a typical Midwest... Like good values company, you know. So I think it's they're just very personal and it was, you know, for them, it was a small transaction. It's not too huge for them. So I think they need to make a decision quickly. Otherwise, it's a waste of time. So luckily, the CEO was there that week and you know, got a meeting with him. The uh, CEO was there. Yeah. And things happen quickly. Well, I must say, they, they do make decisions very quickly.
0: So, and then at the end of that week, you just give an offer. Yeah. To so to we buy have a, le- a letter of intent. Yeah. To buy a company. Yeah. yeah. And then you just had to make a phone call to your partners and say, hey, we've been offered not just for the product, but.
1: Yeah and I must tell you it's quite a challenging negotiation if you're an entrepreneur and you've worked like at that point it was nine years or so to get your company to that point and a lot's been poured into it and now you've got this negotiation with a team of like very seasoned negotiators and people that's been through this lot you know you, you know that this is like a liquidity event doesn't happen very often you know so it's quite a stressful thing but i think we were reasonably well prepared through the grindstone accelerator to sort of deal with that
0: and you knew the implication of that is that you become an employee rather than a business owner yeah but they
1: were i think they really valued the way our company operates you know they love the way that we have a flat ownership structure that we have a just a, a company with lots of initiative and ownership and um like uh, I think Garmin is also they also have those small company values they're also quite frugal they also you know they're not flashy they don't like to overpromise, and so we shared I think a lot of values that was quite evident at that point
0: yes and can you talk about what the numbers here themselves unfortunately
1: not but what I can say is and that's a really good reason for people to make noise in the US is your like if your valuation is that Africa is one X, then you're gonna to go to the UK, it's gonna be three X. But if you go to the US, it's gonna be ten X upwards. So it is um I think for any entrepreneur or investor, you know, to get your company over there makes a lot of sense. Even though having said that, I don't think that we would have gone to live in the US. That would not have that was never that was not on Part the of, table. Yeah, not on the table. No, so I wouldn't encourage entrepreneurs to sort of always see that as the way to go. I think that's a really big, uh, big step. But yeah, if you can make noise in the US, I think there's and. Uh, You know, broaden your horizons, there's a lot of value to be had.
0: Yeah, so when they bought the company, it was a liquidity event for you and the shareholders. You you took some money out. uh, Oh, they just bought the company, give you the money, and then say, okay, everybody now works with us. And you had to sign some years of working with them?
1: No, no, we didn't have that. But I must tell you, the process of exiting is quite stressful. It's like we had a rough year. Crowdfunding is rough, but the process of exiting is definitely a lot, a lot more intense. And um, so we had a great investment banker on our side which we got through uh, grindstone and i think that was so critical because all those terms that you know sort of starting to mention that, that crops up and you're so busy trying to get your company you know over the line that you may be willing to sacrifice or, or compromise on a lot of terms um where in our case we had really experienced people in our corner and we were able to not have any of those kind of terms and also what happens is Even though Garmin's a great company, they get a legal team with a mandate and that's like a different beast. That legal team tries to, they want to move risk away from Garmin towards you. And so everything, you know, if anything they find, any skeletons in the closet, you know, risks will get moved towards you while you want to move risk towards them. You know, so it took us six months.
0: Six months from let our intent to closure. No, it's
1: pretty serious. So, what happens is, I mean, these guys, they fly out, they've got a team of like 10 people or come to our office, you know, and then they were pretty amazed at the small team we have here. Yeah, they knew we had a small team, but they didn't realize how small our office was, you know, and it, and then, uh, you know, they interrogate everything. So, you get like a really, really in depth scrubbing. So, it's a very good um, reason for entrepreneurs to maintain integrity in the operations throughout, you know, to maintain like, high quality in everything you do Uh, luckily for us our stuff was really in, in, in good order we had a tax clearance certificate you know stuff like that if we didn't have a tax clearance certificate this deal would have fallen through because we would have applied for it and it if it took three months four months you know the deal would have fallen through so you have to be so well prepared for that moment um but yeah we had good terms they also realized that you don't want to hold someone hostage you know, in a company that doesn't bring out the best in them.
0: Was it, uh, No, you don't want to disclose them, but was it enough money for you to say, okay, I'm not going to work anymore, I'm just going to be cycling all around Europe now?
1: Yeah, so actually when I took two years to assist the company with transition, so the integration process, I think it was a, you know, a good way of, of also giving back and making sure that Garmin gets full value and establishing the site and integrating the cultures and so after that point I stepped down and that was a year ago so I took a year of family adventure um, I've got two boys and a wife so we we sort of took a year to enjoy things a bit you know and just uh, refuel but um, yeah so we're in a good position but I think we all still have a gift to give to the world so uh, I'm still busy finding out where I can
0: add that so you're no longer becoming I mean, now no so you're still in the middle of your yeah. yeah at the end of it I'm looking <laughs> at up- what to do next so the team original team some of them are still with Gamin and they're based in south africa yeah so Gamin now have a presence in south
1: africa yes so, so basically 90 percent of the team is still here and we've grown the team so we have great engineers and um, maybe as an encouragement also to your listeners is like i was amazed at how they valued our engineers so if you're in africa it doesn't mean that you're an inferior engineer you know, you can be on par or better than the, the US engineers. And, um, cause we bring something different to the table. So we look at the world from a different angle. We've got different experiences and different problems that we've, uh, we face on the side. So yeah, that's great to see, you know, that as African engineers, we
0: can actually, uh, yeah keep it up with the base and and the value engineer well and now they have a presence in south africa and they are all working for gaming so it was good for everyone so i'm going to round off now because of the time so but i want to ask about your outlook from here going forward you said you still have gifts to give to humanity what do you think that would be next for you
1: well i'm definitely not gonna just take an easy job somewhere i'm very much in love with business and the startup scene so um, currently i'm helping a few entrepreneurs and i'm busy with a few non-profit ventures i think i would i would love to be part of a startup or become involved on the investing side and assisting startups to go to the next level so still very vague
0: (laughs) yes but it's it's okay to start vague and then you get something that picks your interest and then you, you go from there i'm gonna end this podcast by giving you a series of fire questions that i needed all right and so some of them are not relevant now because you're no longer in business um but i was i'll ask them anyway so what what is or what was your biggest business pain point relationships
1: keeping top talent on board uh, it's
0: funny that's what most people say in this podcast as well um when you were running your business just before you sold to Gaming, um what was your number one growth metric Yeah, we used (laughs) (laughs) after that earnings. So your earnings, (laughs) because then you were trying to double it. (laughs) Which book are you reading at the moment?
1: Oh, there's a book, um, A Higher Call. It's a book about the second world war two pilots meeting each other in the battlefield
0: and what is the main story around it
1: so it's a it's an american pilot and a german pilot and uh, yeah i just i love like biographical kind of stories and uh, so this german pilot actually saved the american pilot's life in the war and um well, i won't i don't want to spoil the book but it's it's really quite good
0: <laughs> which business is getting you excited at the moment
1: um so i won't say any specific business but i am quite excited about drone technology and um and spectrography so yeah, you get these little nanospectrometers and, and yeah I think that it hasn't really had m- a lot of mainstream application but, but I think that kind of thing and also combining all of these things mm-hmm. so you know it's, it's, uh, I, it just blows my mind like Bitcoin AI drones you know 3D printing throwing all these in the mix so I'm not that focused in, in that sense
0: but yeah, exciting technology that, that makes you feel oh, this, is, this is great. So it shows that you are a core engineer <laughs> <laughs> And I'm assuming your next um, challenge will also be using uh, technology to solve problems.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I think, uh, I guess, problem is if, if you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So yes. you have to be careful. But but that's what I love. I love
0: technology. Yeah. So, Franz, thanks for coming to the show. It's been a pleasure listening to you and hearing your story. And I think a lot of people learn a lot from you as well. Thank you. Thanks for having me. This series is in partnership with the British Council in Nigeria. The British Council is the UK's international organization for cultural relations and educational opportunities. All opinions expressed by me and the podcast guests are solely ours and does not reflect the opinion or policies of the British Council. For more information about the British Council, go to britishcouncil.org.ng. One of the things we do at Starter is Growth Consulting. We work with a select number of growth stage startups and established companies to grow and retain their customers. We do growth. We're not a digital marketing agency. Instead, we help our clients figure out their customer acquisition and retention by focusing on three major things. We help them build a consistent narrative and community around their core offers. Second, we help them build a scalable, repeatable, and cost-effective systems and strategies. And lastly, most importantly, we help them build an in-house team that we execute the strategies for them. We've worked with and still working with companies like Flutterwave, Cranium One, Diawa Law, Omar Gardens, GEE Client Services, Amara Suit and many others. We're a small team of startup entrepreneurs, investors, product designers and growth marketers with experiences of building and scaling our own products and companies. To work with you, we'll have to determine if there's a fit and if we can significantly make a difference to your growth trajectory within a short time. If your business is currently making money, at least 10,000 dollars per month and you want to scale to the next level let's have a chat go to we and book a free strategy session with us that is w-e-d-o-g-r-o-w-t-h.co we do and book a free strategy session with us today do you have an offer a product service or message that will be ideal for entrepreneurs investors or corporate executives across africa Building the future podcast can help you. This podcast has been sponsored by partners who want to reach super targeted audience of investors, entrepreneurs, and people who are in the process of starting their own business. If you or your company is interested in reaching those audience through this podcast, we would like to chat with you. We have sponsorship slots from three episodes up to one year. Send me an email via hello at the starter.com. That is h-e-l-l-o at t-h-e-s-t-a-r-t-a dot com and we can take this further you've been listening to building the future podcast by these are the interviews with entrepreneurs that are playing a key part in shaping the african future and you'll be able to hear all their stories for more sign up for the weekly newsletter at thestarter.com our revolution will be televised starta.com and sign up for our newsletter it will be a huge favor to me and it's really simple and easy if you subscribe now it will help us a lot thanks